Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Moving forward, I'm excited for what God has for me today. I'm looking forward to His Word in my life, and and I'm hungry for it. And uh, we're going to look again at uh, Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to read 1 through 4, and then we're going to jump down to verse 10. So uh, verse 1 reads this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now jumping down to verse 10. And God saw their works. Someone say works. That they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. For remainder of the day, I'm going to do my best to teach to you three jobs that can save a city. Three jobs that can save a city. I want to ask us to ask God to help us today and speak it to our hearts and our lives today. If you would, bow your your head with me. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity we have to be here. I'm grateful, Lord, for your hand on our our life and and bringing us here at this uh, uh, time together. I pray that your word begin to open up our ears and our eyes and strengthen this body strengthen our, our our families, strengthen our personal walk with you. Help me, God, your teacher today. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. And in your name I pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord just for a moment. Praise God. Praise God. God's good, amen. If you agree, you may be seated. Uh, I'm looking forward to what God has for me today, and, and I was reading this text, and I just seen something that jumped out to me, and I wanted to share it with you. I recently read an article that uh, that wasn't, you know, uh, one of those articles that um, oh, where where it's a definite. These are facts. This was obviously an opinionated article, but I, I, I'd like to share it with you. And, and in this article, it talked about the most important jobs in a city or in a community. And it had a laundry list. There was like 10 of them, but I'm just going to focus on the top four. And the fourth one, countdown here, uh, was nurses. Nurses was was the fourth most important um position and job within within the city. Uh, just to let you know, doctors wasn't in there, not even in that list, nurses. So, because we all know nurses are the real doctors, right? And so, but number, number three, the third ranked one was first responders. For instance, cops and firefighters, EMT, those individuals who are there right away. The second ranked uh, important job was the military. 
That was a that was a big one. That was a important one. But the first one really kind of uh, caught me off guard. I thought the first one was going to be uh, maybe some maybe doctors. I thought I thought somebody uh, who was had a lot of education behind them or somebody who you know a lot of training and, and things like that. But actually, the first ranked job in the city there was was garbage collectors, waste management professionals. And, and I, I thought to myself, that's that's interesting. And But I began to think, really, honestly, there's a lot of strong truths behind that. If you had no one to take out the garbage, you would not enjoy the city you're living in. But it also, it takes away the disease and the things like that and, and all, all the stuff that comes with that. And, and I, I found that really interesting because it really is a duty that, still today is so very important spiritually we that that duty of discarding what is broken and not needed is also one of the most important jobs we can do for our very own soul waste management when I think about that I you know I think about obviously maybe for me on Mondays have to have our, our garbage can down by the street. And uh, every Sunday, this is how I do it, every Sunday on our way home from, from church and going out to eat or whatever, um, I ask my my daughters to take just roll down the garbage can down to the front. That's one of their duties in life. And um, it's really funny because we, we play this game that, you know, it's so hard for them to just say, you do one day, one week, I'll do the next week. You know, forget that crazy common sense kind of pattern, right? It is this constant like, oh, I'm dying here because I have to do it. So well, the, the goal is, is we've, we've really figured out a way to do it besides me just saying you're doing it. The challenge is this. It's either sometimes rock, paper, scissors. It's a game of chance and skill. Sometimes it's just a, a game of guessing numbers, one between 20 or whatever number, and, and we, we type it in our little phone and, and make sure we hold it, and they guess, and those types of things, and then they go do it, and of course, all those things happen. They they hate that process of taking the trash out, and when we think, and I think about that, even as a kid, I remember growing up in my in my uh, parents' home, my dad would, uh, I would remember those trash days, and he would say, all right, time to get the trash. And it was like my dad would make us go grab a, a plastic bag and completely declutter the entire home. Every waste can, every waste basket was emptied and swapped out. And and I remember back in my day as a youth, I didn't like it either. I had no, I had no, like, ooh, this is the, the best thing ever. That, that still is the same sometimes with us how we are spiritually. Getting rid of things in our life, we struggle with that. We struggle with emptying the waste basket of our lives at times because sometimes we it's it takes work it is a job and I want us to see here that as we move forward that we see even in scripture how important it is and on those on those Monday mornings if I don't have that trash can out there at the right amount of time my my waste management does not care they're not making a turnaround they're they are just saying we'll see you next week and you know we we know them by the probably the rumble in your in your 
house because they're driving that truck. We hear them, you know, the, the brakes. We, can, we know they're there and present. And I also see this kind of action. This, If I can just correlate a, and show you that there is a waste disposal director in Scripture, I'd like to show you that. And I find him in Matthew chapter 3. And I hope that the day I get to heaven, I don't get punched in the face by this man. Because I always wonder, like, you know, you know, us speakers and teachers and preachers, we do our best to, you know, just talk about individuals and scriptures. And I wonder how often we have got it wrong and they're just waiting for us and just saying, you know, you use me as multiple examples in this light. And that's exactly not how it was. And but we find here Matthew chapter three. Let's look at it. Verse one. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent ye, or I could say it this way, get rid of the trash, right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. All right, we'll pause there. This process of preparing the way of the Lord is a process of getting rid of stuff. That process of preparing the way of the Lord in your life is always hinged on repentance. It's always going to be focused on that one thing. And, and I, I see here he goes on and makes that point. Make, make pa- the path straight. If you want a straight, clear focus to God, you've got to deal with repentance. You have to deal with saying sorry with things in your life. Verse 4, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle and his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey. I'll just pause there and say, I just, you know, not to beat up any waste management professionals here, but I do know that their, their garments are a little bit, you know, smelly and maybe a little bit wild and crazy. And um, you see here, John the Baptist, he was probably the first vegan. I don't know. Uh, his meat was locusts and wild honey and just this kind of strange type of diet. Um, I just see this individual who does not care about social norms and does not care what the latest trends are in in clothing and those types of things, or even dieting, obviously. We see him in this type of different thing. But verse 5, then went out to him, and this is huge, because it wasn't that he went out to people, but they went out to him. And these who came, this is who came to him, Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all the region about Jordan. And they came to him because of this one particular job he's focused on. And verse 6 tells us that, and we're baptized. Everyone was baptized from these regions of him in Jordan, and they were confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, verse 8 is huge. I want us to grab a hold of it. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. And really today, that is going to be a a, a huge uh, verse in understanding what these three jobs are. Verse 9, And think not to say within yourselves, Ye have Abraham to your father, for I say unto you, 
that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree, say that, every tree with me. That's everybody. Everybody. Okay? Which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, and and, I, and the shoes I am not worthy to, to, to uh, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost in fire. I, I want us to understand this, that repentance is the work that must be done with, regardless of who your daddy is, as we just read. It doesn't matter if your daddy is Abraham, okay? It doesn't matter if you're some part of incredible heritage of Pentecost. It does not matter if, you're, if your forefathers, your grandpa started 800 churches. It does not matter if your dad is the pastor of this church. It does not matter uh, any of those things. He makes it really clear. He's like, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And he correlates that every tree, meaning everybody's got to bring something to God. Now repentance, for the remainder of today's lesson, I want to focus on the multiple actions, or I should say work that goes into true repentance. And, and a side note is this, that the teaching and the preaching of repentance is the broken record we must always continue to play. And I, I, as I was developing this lesson, I was thinking to myself, oh boy, I wonder if my church wants to hear another lesson or message on repentance. And I thought to myself, you know what? If anything I can do good, it's got to be repentance. I, 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 I can't say this enough. I would rather you be the best repenter than, than the best tongue talker. It, it, we, we have to really grab a hold of why repentance is so necessary. Not, it's not necessary for the, for the process of new birth. It's not, necessary, not just necessary for the initial uh, you know, attempt to get a hold of God. It is absolutely necessary for our daily living. It is something that we have to be, I hate to say the word professionals at, but we have to be sold out to it. We have to, we have to hone our skill into repentance. I think, I think if anything, even if I were to preach and teach repentance, every single message, I will say this, I am still not preaching it and teaching it enough. It has to be taken in. It has to be welcomed into everybody's life. And I move forward with, with jo Jonah because the story of Jonah and Nineveh is such a really powerful story. And I, uh, Jonah 1 verse 2 says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So we see here this mandate, this, this mission that, that God puts into Jonah to go preach to the city. And we know kind of the, the Sunday school story of Jonah. Chapter 1, Jonah receives this message. In chapter 1, he's like, okay, uh, nope, I don't want to go there. Now, I have my, you know, there's some suspicions on why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. You know, what was his reasoning? Uh, some people think it was a, um, Jonah was racist 
towards Nineveh. They didn't. He, they thought that possibly there's a belief that Jonah had a, a certain feeling towards those those individuals, and he did not want to share that message. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. The Bible, uh, and if you read Jonah, you'll find out too through the chapters that it doesn't give a really a clear answer why he did not really want to go. Uh, there, it, it's very strange that the very last chapter of Jonah is that it's the after he has gone to Nineveh the second time, and we'll cover all that as well, but he's also frustrated that revival's happening. It's really weird. It's a really weird situation. And some people think, well, again, that's, it's because he hates those people. And I, I'm not really sure that's the case either. I felt like God at one time gave me a little insight on, on that situation. And I don't know if, again, to me, I, I do feel that I, I truly believe that the message that was preached to Nineveh through Jonah wasn't the first time it was preached to Nineveh and I feel that Jonah was exhausted with bringing the same message over and over again and I believe there was frustration in that and um, I think God showed me that when I've preached the same message here over and over again and, and nothing's changed and I, I, I can see that there's that desire to say God just take me now <laughs> and uh I, I see that in, in, in the story of Jonah. But we don't know. What we do know this is that he was given this word to go do it. And Jonah says, nah, I'm, I'm going to run away from the call of God and the direction of God. And so chapter 1 is him getting on this boat and going the opposite direction. And we see this rebellion that Jonah is is showing to to. Um, to God. And we see Jonah is now being rebellious through the process now where God's like, no, I'm literally going to pull you back here. I'm going to uh, cause a storm to just make sure that your boat just goes in circles and everyone's confused what's happening. And Jonah comes to terms to what's happening. He, he admits to the crew, yeah, everything that's happening is because of me. Uh, it's probably best if you just throw me overboard if you want to save your lives. And so they all do that. They they toss him over over the ship, and there he is. All of a sudden, the storm stops, and people are like, "Okay, that was really crazy. Let's not let's leave him in the water and take off." And all of a sudden, we find out that this, you know, he goes through that conviction that everything that's happening is because of me, and he. He's, he's convicted by what, what's happening to the people on the boat. And he, he exits that boat because of that. Now we're, we're witnessing God's judgment now on Jonah when God sends the big fish and swallows him up. And we see Jonah chapter 2 is such a powerful chapter because it is Jonah within the belly of this, what we like to assume to be a whale, it, repenting. It is a powerful, powerful chapter of repentance. And some people even believe that this, the correlation and the symbolism that's happening in, in Jonah, Jonah's story, especially Jonah chapter 2, that Jonah was actually dead, dead in the flesh. And that it was a, a process of, of 
of repentance and prayer and spiritually dying out. They liken Jonah's story to uh, the story of Christ in the tomb and the, and the time that he spent within the tomb. And, and there's a lot of similarities. And one could pull those things, of course. But I, I like to sometimes take the word literal. And I believe he's in this big old fish and he's having a real moment. Now, I used to be a Sunday school kid. And I remember growing up looking at these posters and seeing, you know, Jonah just in a perfect prayer, like, you know, prayer position on his knees inside this cavernous belly with somehow he had a candle in there. I don't know how he had one, but it was just shining light up against, you can see the rib structure of this, of this. How many of you remember those posters, right? You know, you're like, wow. I don't think it was anything like that. I think, I think he is, he is absolutely being, you know, squeezed. And I believe that he's, he's feeling the, the agitation of the acid that's, that's in that digestive system. I feel, I feel like there is no light. There is hardly any type of, of air to sustain his life. And, and I believe he is praying the most real and sincere prayer that does not look like it's on his knees with his perfect hands in such the right position. And, and, and really, chapter 2, really, if you look at it that way, he feels it. And he even talks about he can feel the depths of the ocean he's in. He can feel how far, how far he's, he's been pressed down to the bottom of the sea type of deal and how distant he's become from God and what he's supposed to do. And so chapter 2 is powerful. He repents and, and God says, all right, time to spit him out. He spits out Jonah, and Jonah's there. Uh, he's alive. He's on shore. And then we go into chapter 3. Chapter 3 is what we opened up with, and I reread it again. Chapter 3, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, How many of you are going to answer that phone call? Right? Or how many of you are going to say, I'm not letting that phone call slip me by? And so he answers that call, and he says, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto, unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city, uh, a city, a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days. So for forty days he begins to preach this message of repentance. And, Nineveh sh and, and explain to them that Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now I jump down to verse 10 and we see here that God saw their works. God seen their efforts. God seen them do work. There was a job that they did and that they turned from their evil way and God repented of his evil of, of, of deciding to destroy them. So the word is works here and I want us to understand that the people of Nineveh worked to be saved. Okay? Now, I, I just want to throw this out here that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much, how much uh, crying and screaming out to God you do. We're saved by His grace, plain and simple. Okay? But I will say this, that grace is not a salvation plan. All right? Grace, God's grace, is not there for you to lean on it and you to say, I'm okay, I can do whatever I want because he's got grace for me. 
We still have a job to do. We still have actions to do. We still have work to do. And so we see that Nineveh worked to be saved. They had a job to do. And I want to look at the three works or three jobs that helped Nineveh turn from their evil ways and ultimately save their city. The very first one. Let's look at these at these at this first example. Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, "Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown." So the people of Nineveh believed God. That is the first job right there, believing God. That's a big deal. Uh, I, I think that I, I know that some people look at that and go, okay, yeah, all right, big deal, sh- you know, shoulder shrug. But it's 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 a big deal because we must believe that God has it, number one that God is real. We we have to stop denying that God is is He doesn't exist. I mean, open up your eyes, look out of your window. I mean, doesn't even nature itself tell you that there is a God? I mean, how how lucky we are that just a big old bang put us in the right position in the universe where the world just begins to just rotate at the right speed and the right angle and and how we're just at the right degree of of separation from this giant burning sun that it doesn't burn us to death or we're so far away that we're not frozen like ice cubes you know that's just a crazy how wild did that happen what how lucky are we Who's ready to play the roulette wheel? See, that's, no, God is real. Believe in God, number one. But the the most important thing you can really do when it comes to believing in God is believing that his judgments are real. Look what happens here in Isaiah 45 and 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. When he says that, he's meaning I'm not going to take my words back. Thou, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. There is going to be this 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 judgment, this real judgment that we're all going to have to go through, his righteous judgment is real and we have to believe it. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. You are going to be judged not just on the bad things you did but also the good. We're going to take, we're going to sit before God. 1 Peter 4 and 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Right? This word is coming to us saying, listen, it's, we're going to be judged first and accordingly. But my God, how about the individuals who keep turning away from God? Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So you have two appointments you got to keep. You got an appointment of death and definitely an appointment of judgment. And, and too often we just, I, I, know, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes there's some doctor's appointments you wish to forget. 
right? There's some appointments you just wish you can just cancel. Unfortunately, you can't, you're not going to be able to cancel these particular appointments. We all have to, we're all appointed to die once, and then we're all appointed to see that, that, that seat of judgment. Uh, Revelations 20.11 says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their what? their job that they did and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their what works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire man we I've got a job to do and that first job is absolutely believing, number one, that God is real and his judgments are real. Romans 14, 12 says that, So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's a big deal. Like Nineveh, we must believe God, especially his righteous judgment. Number two, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. This is the second job. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them, even to the least of them. They, the second job they did was fasting for forgiveness. Now, I asked this question just to get you all. You should probably know me already. Who likes to fast in here? Oh, 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 oh. I got a, kind of a, one hand back there, my mom. I always like to say it. You know me enough. If you like fasting, you're doing it wrong. Fasting is the worst. But how many of you will be honest with me and you, when you go into a fast, how many of you are fasting for a need that you need to see through? Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's for healing. Maybe it's f to get you through a process of, 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 you know, a situation. Maybe it's a bill that came down your, your road. A lot of times we fast and even scripturally we look at fasting. Our mind goes right away to that, to, to that spirit locked up into that boy and they the, the father came to the disciples and said can you help me here and they all they all tried to take remove this this demonic force inside this kid and nothing could happen and this frustrated father is just like man not even these disciples who have such a reputation and man I'm frustrated nothing can heal my son and so they brought him to Jesus and Jesus is frustrated at his disciples for for you know for certain things and 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 Jesus you know, we know what Jesus does. He does what Jesus does. He's, he's God. And so he, he casts this, this devil out of him. And, and we see this, this father here come to an understanding in this moment along with the disciples. And when the disciples came back to Jesus saying, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says this, that some, some things you have to do with, with prayer and fasting. Like you have to get to that place. And sometimes we fast to, to get those things out. But the Bible's really clear on sometimes we're supposed to fast for repentance. And that's a, that's a different way of fasting. 
It's a different way of coming to God and saying, God, I need your help. It's a deeper level and a, de- a stronger statement. And, and if you'd let me un- kind of break this down, Isaiah 58 and 6 reads this. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free that ye break every yoke. This is this is a type of fast where it's not just hovered around your financial blessing or your healing or some kind of prosperity request. It's really to help you understand your trespasses. You know, a trespass can be something like a sign you see that says no trespassing. And and if you're like me and you like to fish certain areas, you, you maybe ignore those. <clears throat> Maybe just, oh, I didn't see it. (laughs) Or you get like real bummed and be like, okay, I can't be on this property. Because that's that's honestly what I try to do. But I tell you what, I'm really excited when I don't see a no trespassing sign. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm free to go. I'm allowed to be here. And I'm allowed to try to catch fish in this, this secret pond. Right? And then I've, I've been in one of those secret ponds where a gentleman waited for me at the edge of the secret pond. He's the pond keeper. And uh, he said, who gave you permission to fish in the secret pond? And, and I said, well, I'd, <laughs> Google Earth. <laughs> uh, and he said, well, you're not allowed to fish here. And th- I said, oh, I didn't see any no trespassing signs or any, any no fishing signs. And I'm sorry. And, I, and he says, oh, I understand. And he says, but from now on, you can't fish here. And I learned a lesson in that moment that you can trespass and, and when you're not realizing. You can be in an area and you're not realizing you're in the wrong area. And we can do the same thing with our walk and our sin. And, and we can be in a, in a place we shouldn't be and not understand we should be there. But what helps us understand we are trespassing is fasting. Because fasting reveals things about you. Fasting reveals things about your, your carnality and your flesh and those types of things within you. Look at what Joel chapter 2 and 12 says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. This approach to knowing God with all your heart, it takes fasting. And there's nothing wrong with fasting for spiritual victories, but we need to do a better job at fasting for forgiveness. And I'll say it this way. Fasting is a process of forcing your will, your flesh, to submit to his will, his spirit. Fasting is a battle of wills that allows his spirit to get the upper hand. And when I, when I allow myself to be in submission and subjection to his, his authority through, through fasting, he shows me the the guidelines the 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 trespassing limits those things that i chose to ignore they become convictions all of a sudden and they i'm convicted about going to those places or going and listening to those things or you know it's it's a it's an amazing thing uh leadership and i love leadership and teaching on leadership and i always like to really explain to leadership the 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 hunger you get with god the more convicted you're going to get and it's really interesting because you're going to be convicted about things that i'm not even talking about 
It's, it's just things that God has like shown you in your own personal relationship and, and hunger that if you want to know me more, and everyone's so different. Some people might be convicted about orange juice and some people might not. But God's going to lead you into those things and it's a powerful thing and you can only really get there through doing this proper job of fasting for forgiveness. Number three, the last job I want to focus on, Jonah five, uh, chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, okay, and put on sackcloth for the gra- from the greatest of them to the least of them. For word came unto the king Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed. And published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from this evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. The third job is this, living with repentive sorrow. It's a huge job. And the reason that is, is that they, it's important that you see that they took off what they were wearing and put on sackcloth and ashes. This was a real identity change from pride, which was that costly apparel, to humility, which was found in sackcloth and ashes. This was performed from the least in the city to the greatest in the city. Their own animals were meant to roll around in some some ashes and put on some sackcloth. Everyone identified with humility. And it's this this meaning is that no one is exempt from changing their attitude towards their sin. We all we all have to have a unified attitude when it comes to sin. We should be against it. <laughs> We should all, as the body of Christ, be against sin. And I hope we are. And we see here that we cannot get away from saying sorry and not living in sorry. Right? Um, I, I have these two daughters that truly love each other with great depths. They're the, they're the closest of friends and siblings. But every now and then, every now and then, they, they, they have disagreements. And every now and then, one of them will do something really out-of-the-box type of thinking. One of them will, you know, booby-trap each other's room. I don't know. They, they have a different way of getting back at each other in such a weird, strange way. And all of a sudden, you hear this exaggerated cry and ow and all these things. And you're wondering what's happening. And, of course, it's not as bad as you think. But in steps the parent. And the parent says, you need to, what, apologize to them. And how many of you of parents are, would be with me and say that, you've experienced a similar situation and (laughs) yes probably this is the biggest amen part in this service how many of you have seen the most sincere apology the first time they they, I've (laughs) it was the quickest shortest ugliest apology I've ever seen in my life 
Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Tell him you're sorry. 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 <laughs> right? Hmm. Are, are you sincere in your apology? Probably not. We are so the same when it comes to our sins with God. We do the exact same things on our, our, when we come to God in repentance. We're like, sorry, I'm up here. Uh, I'm, showing, I'm showing the actions of sorry by kneeling down at the altar in response to the preached word. But when I, got, when I walk out this building, am I really living in sorry? Am I really giving up those things? Am I really turning around from those addictions? Am I saying no? I, 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 my wife, she's not in here. Um, my wife just every now and then gets upset at me. I don't know why. <laughs> very few. And just, a, I, it's not, it doesn't happen very often. I'm, I, it's, it's very rare. And I, the times that she does get angry, I we have these moments where someone's got to say sorry, right? And we all know that she's not going to do it. <laughs> so it takes me, it takes me time to say it. And, um, but my wife's a really good um, uh, individual to remind me and, and to prove that, you know, am I sorry? And there's moments where uh, I, have to, I have to be uh, sorry in action more than I am in words. And the only way you can do that is by doing that job and not falling down in that ditch again and not... not not doing it, you know, falling into repetition patterns. And the Bible talks about that, how we're so, so even the, the church was so entangled again by their yoke of bondage. And it's because they just didn't want to really live in, in godly sorrow. And we see here moving forward that Second Second Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but, so, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. It's a different type of way of saying sorry. The New Living Translation reads it this way, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And there is such a difference in the type of, of, of living in sorrowfulness. Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 2 and 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. I like that part right there. It's kind of like the thing I tell my children when we are leaving them at home by themselves, right? Behave. I know we're leaving. Behave. We've got cameras on you. <laughs> behave. We, we, not just around us, but away from us. Behave. And God's asking us the same thing. Not just, not just in front of him. Not, not just lip service into his presence or how we do it in, in, in the congregation of the people, but also within the absence. And, and he's, he's making this 
really this petition uh, to the people when he's in regards to himself. Don't, don't just be a Christian in front of me. Be a Christian all the time. Be sorrowful in these times. He says, not just in my absence only, but now much more in my absence, but or my presence, but now my absence. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear. fear and trembling. See, the fear and trembling is a type of attitude of godly sorrow we need to live in. I, I, that passage there is a passage. We can all stand. I'm closing here. That's a passage that is thrown around a lot because we find it anytime we disagree with authority, anytime we disagree with, with even the word of God, godly authority, even pastoral leadership authority, um, that is our go-to verse. I'm just going to work out my own salvation. You know, I'm going to work it out myself. And, and, but we just never really pay attention to the rest of that text, right? I'm fine with that. But do it with what? Fear and trembling. This, this, this clarity, just like Nineveh had. They had a clarity and believing God's judgment was real. And when that preacher came into his city and began to cry, repent and, and change your ways or you're going to be destroyed, they believed him because they believed God and they believed his judgments. And, and from that, they went to fasting in a different way. Not fasting anymore for victories over the next city, city or, or higher pay increase or, or this thing to happen. No, I'm fasting God to help me understand how I'm re to repent. God, kill this flesh in me. Put it into subjection because your will is higher than my will. I need to know you. And lastly, I'm not just going to say sorry. I'm going to be sorry. I'm going to live in sorrowful type of walking and talking. And I'm going to live in that fear and trembling. And when we do that, we, do, we live out what Matthew 3 and 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. The New Living Translation says this. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That's a, that's a big job to do. And those three jobs will save a city. Can I, can I echo what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14? Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You are the city. You are the city that you need to make sure makes it through judgment. And I, I hope that, I hope that um, we, we take tonight and understand that, man, I've got to be better at repenting. I've, I've got to not just be uh, someone who comes on Sundays only and repents and comes up here and does my thing. Just, you know, I, I've made this point before. The weeping and crying that we do in the altar is a decision to repent. The moment you get up and dust your knees off and, and wipe your face from the tears and walk out the door, that's real repentance. It is turning away. That's what repentance means, to turn away. Repentance doesn't always mean to weep and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God even say this. I heard another preacher say this, bring out this point. When you're speaking in tongues and God's just over, you may be sorrowful and God's filling you with the Holy Ghost and, and you're responding through speaking tongues, but you're not repenting. Repenting is, is done with, with concise, clear, 
I am sorry. Forgive me. I don't want to continue to be in this. There's a lot of people who are really good at speaking in tongues that still need to repent. This ain't just a, a new converts lesson. This is for the church. Everybody in the city, what did they do? They put on sackcloth and ashes. Little Toto, come here. I got to put on some sackcloth on it. We're all, we're all going to live in that identity. Let's just bow our heads tonight. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for your word. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church, or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 